This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom planning software by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. Welcome to CBO Speaks, a podcast from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO John Walda, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is for you to gain greater insight into the challenges and rewards of the Chief Business Officer role. Find out more from today's episode at www.nakubo.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for joining us. My name is Megan Strand, your host, and I am honored to be joined today by Lynn Ballanter, who is Vice Chancellor of Finance and Operations at Washington State University, Vancouver. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you. Well, to get us started today, I was hoping you could kick us off by telling us how you came to higher ed as a profession. Have you have you been a career academician or is is this a newer pr- profession for you? And, and if so, how did you get there? It's not a newer profession, but it is a second profession. My first career was hotel and resort and restaurant management and administration. Uh, my entry into higher ed, I was an adjunct faculty for about five years and then became a full-time faculty member um, after the birth of our first child. And after being a faculty member, my husband at the time was transferred, and I ended up uh, getting a graduate degree and applying uh, for an administrative position at the institution I was a graduate student at. Fantastic. And was that also Washington State University? It was. Talk a little bit about how your career in the hotel industry related or didn't at all to higher ed. It actually related a lot. My initial job uh, on the administrative side was facilities and auxiliary services. And reflectively later, I realized that I really am good with large, complex organizations. I used to joke that I managed very similar things, just in a different way. So, for example, we had housekeeping in hotels and resorts, and we have custodial um, in higher ed. Uh, I used to manage valet parking, and now I manage uh, aggravated students, faculty, and staff parking. (laughs) So it's certainly different. We had security uh, in the resort industry, and in higher ed, I have a commissioned police force. So uh, how it plays out is a little bit different, but the actual functions have a striking amount of similarity. Following that line a little bit further, what would you say is the number one skill set you've relied upon throughout your whole career? I'm good at bringing order to chaos. I like operations. I like having structure, but being dynamic. And when circumstances change or things emerge, kind of reacting to that. Again, being a little more reflective, which we're much better at in higher ed than we are in, in hospitality. But I'm I'm a rule follower and I care about customer service. And so those two things actually make a very effective match within the world of higher ed. Let's talk a little bit about what you're working on currently that is most exciting for you at Washington State University. We're looking to develop a variety of public-private partnerships and or public-public partnerships. Uh, we've recently become of a size, uh, we're at about 3,500 students, 
many institutions our size have full-scale student services, they're residential, they have athletics, but we are a Research One campus, and so really helping determine what our next phase of growth looks like and what are the elements that we will be uh, adding and what are the elements maybe not at this time. Now, WSU Vancouver is a satellite campus. Is that how it's defined? Is that correct? No, there's a fair amount of discussion about how these are defined. At Washington State University, we're just defined as multiple campuses. But it's a different system. Uh, It's what we call a flagship system. So we don't have a central office, as it were, like in UC, there's a University of California system office. Mm -hmm. We don't have that. We have the flagship office where the WSU Pullman campus hosts many or most, but certainly not all of the administrative structure. What challenges or benefits does that structure present to you as a CBO? The same in any matrix organization. The people that you work with aren't physically there, but you still have accountability. Uh, It requires far more communication because no one is particularly autonomous on any given issue. But the strengths of the system are that we, rather than being a new startup with no history and no depth or breadth on a variety of things, we're able to draw upon those resources system-wide. So I would say that, that it's a complicated system, and it can be challenging to navigate. I think it does reward longevity. So I've been with the institution for almost 20 years. And so that makes it really helpful. I think it's harder when you're a new person to figure out how to navigate a chain of command and who to communicate with and who has a stake in a variety of different issues. Can you talk a little bit, Lynn, about how you progressed at WSU Vancouver over the years? You just said you'd been there, it was it over 20 years or 20 years? Uh, Not quite 20 years. So I was hired in as manager of of facilities and auxiliary services. And after two two years, uh, my boss at the time was promoted into another job in another location. And the chancellor came to me and just said, you know, would you like that job? I was hesitant at the time I was married and had five young children and that my predecessor worked long hours late into the night and that just wasn't something that we could sustain as a family. So I told him that I thought that would be a challenge and he, you know, he was very gracious and said, I'm I'm not sure that'll be necessary. Why don't you try it? And so I did try it and then he came back to me after I honestly don't remember, three or four months and just said, so what do you think? Do you want the job permanently? And uh, obviously it was very casual (laughs) (laughs) approach. Um, And I said, yeah, you know, I would, I'm enjoying myself. So it was uh, probably not as unusual as it sounds. I suspect there's a fair amount of uh, informal promotion, but uh, I, I came in through facilities, which is fairly unusual to go into a CBO role. Mm -hmm. And I was also pretty young at the time. I'm still very young, but I was even I was gonna say, I'm sure I'm sure you're still very young. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about who has served as a professional mentor to you over the years in higher ed? I would say that I haven't had anyone and coming from hospitality, you didn't really have mentors. It was a fairly uh, unusual concept to me. But what I would say is that it's a profession where if you ask, people are just incredibly generous. So uh, 
the founding chancellor of my institution, was just incredibly gracious about allowing me to ask why he did things. He would do things and I can you share why you said that or why you did that? And he was very much a strategic thinker. So he would do things uh, today that he would see would set up for something farther in the future. And so uh, having the freedom to be able to poke a little bit at why things were done, coming from private sector, I really didn't understand much of higher ed and, for example, why someone would serve us up that who, when we, in fact, gave them their paycheck. You know, private sector, you would just no longer be employed. But uh, the concepts of, sh- concepts of shared governance and uh, what is it that faculty owns versus what is it that administration owns and then what's the Venn diagram in between the two uh, – I was able to just observe and ask uh, a, a number of people. The vice chancellor of Acad- the founding vice chancellor of academic affairs, was really great in sharing his thoughts and perspectives. That's like a provost equivalent at our campus about uh, intelligence and learning and faculty and uh, shared governance. So uh, I would say that a whole bevy of people who were willing to answer my questions when I was genuinely puzzled. What advice would you give someone who maybe they're coming from the private sector, entering higher ed? What sorts of things do you feel like they would really need to know or be able to ask coming into higher ed? I think the most important thing is to understand shared governance. I uh, did a presentation at Wakubo, I think, last year on shared governance uh, and co-presented. That was absolutely, that's a critical understanding that is just so not intuitive in the private sector. Mm-hmm. I, For me, one of the enrichment activities that served me well over the years was to read the Chronicle of Higher Ed, particularly some of the uh, Vita, uh, the articles where they write about careers and choices. And it's almost always from a, a faculty perspective. And so you really get to understand in a way that isn't threatening and isn't judgmental, but you know, what is it that faculty think about? What are they concerned about? What are the challenges around their attainment of tenure and of promotion? What are the institutional differences? Uh, what is some of the leadership uh, in the faculty, faculty governance groups thinking, uh, what is the, uh, uh, I can't, ACUP uh, perspective on a variety of issues. And so really kind of digging into the DNA of faculty a little bit so that you can Uh, seek first to understand, which I think is absolutely critical. Uh, Also, Nakuba does a really nice uh, first new business officer, new chief business officer program at the annual conference every year. And I've been faculty on that. And uh, I I think that's really, really helpful, both for the information provided, but for the relationships that you have so that then when you, you're trying to implement something new and you're not understanding why people are resisting, you have someone outside your chain of command that you can go to and, and get advice from and insight. You mentioned the Chronicle. Are there other sources of information that you read regularly that you would recommend or little pockets of um, interesting tidbits that you, you turn to for inspiration or innovation? I read voraciously within uh, Chronicle. They have a, a new publications uh, 
section where they usually list, I think it's like four to six different publications of interest in higher ed. Uh, my colleagues on the student affairs side and academic side often have publications that tie to particular interests that I have, say around student retention or in the impact of engagement on student retention is something that I try to pay a lot of attention to. Uh, we're a commuter campus and with a high proportion of first year gen students. And so there's a number of institutional research publications that uh, help me understand how we can do better. One of, one of my philosophies is that people in my role or, or in roles within the span of business is we're fairly neutral, or I think should be fairly neutral about how resources are allocated. We just want them to be used well. And so rather than funding a bunch of things that don't work or don't move us closer to a strategic goal, if you have an understanding about best practices, and uh, certainly some things need to be experimental, but where we know what works best in uh, retaining first-gen students, it makes sense for us to be uh, ahead of the curve on that knowledge so that we can help with funding those practices that uh, get us to our strategic goals. Anything you're working on right now as it pertains to student retention that you feel like is a best practice or that you're, you're working to implement? Um, I am not. Our campus is working. We uh, established a strategic plan and uh, somewhat unusually directly tied resource allocation to the first two years with the idea that the growth on campus will fund subsequent years. And some of the key elements there are student retention, uh, improving our student retention. We have a large transfer population and we've done pretty well with the transfer population. We only added freshmen back in 2006. And so we haven't had year over year data for a long time. And some of, particularly some of the smaller subsets are not statistically uh, there isn't a large enough population that we can feel like there's a high confidence of the statistics. So mm -hmm. uh, we continue to kind of dig in on that. But for example, recently, uh, our the retention of our uh, student of color population is the same for some of our subsets as it is for all students. And so that's certainly some encouraging work that, uh, but we still don't know if it's a statistical anomaly or, or if it, you know, we can start to feel like it's hardwired in and, and, you know, look to that as a best practice. Lynn, what would you say is the biggest challenge that faces all CBOs today? What do you think is keeping you all up at night collectively? The economic models of higher ed, uh, some more, some less. The For the publics, the change in state support, the uh, political environment that is moving it from a societal benefit to a personal benefit. So student debt, particularly for uh, first-gen college students, it's just daunting. And I worry that they're taking on debt that if they don't persist and uh, aren't savvy consumers can really be crippling long-term. I think also the idea that a college education is needed for many most, or actually not college, but a post high school uh, training or education is needed for many most jobs is important. Uh, but 
knowing what those are and how to finance those and making sure that uh, students aren't prey to uh, to education that doesn't really pay off for them is something that they just need to be savvy about. What are you doing today, Lynn? Maybe let's go back to your, your hospitality days. What are you doing now that you never imagined you would have been doing back then? Kind of everything and... <laughs> Uh, so too many to uh, name yeah so a couple of things that I have gotten to do that I never would have imagined uh when I was in a different field that could even be possible um I had the opportunity to be the interim chancellor at my current campus for two and a half years and that is just such a huge job and a huge responsibility that at any point in my career I couldn't have imagined that I would have that opportunity. So I'm very, uh, I'm thankful for that. The circumstances, which were the health of my, of the founding chancellor were unfortunate, but uh, the opportunity itself, I was able to grow and really understand the academic mission in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise. And then uh, just a, a personal kind of high note, last year at Wakuba's annual meeting, our keynote speaker was Condoleezza Rice. And so I got to be on stage with her oh, wow. Q&A live for 45 minutes. And wow. that was just like the experience of a lifetime. So uh, that that was something that has definitely been a, a highlight of, of my life. Talk a little bit more about your time as chancellor. What What did you take away from that experience that you now feel has changed your perspective as a CBO? Oh, I think to use the vernacular today, it's complicated, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? Everything. The reason why we need such top level administrators, and frankly, they tend to be paid well in higher ed, is because it's so complicated. The work that you have to do with your state legislators, the system work, the academic work, the uh, changing needs of our society, the role of economic development, uh, the ability to reach out to people who want to help you change something that speaks to their heart through development activities is something that uh, needs to be thoughtfully done. But if done well, is as much about helping uh, helping donors realize their dreams through your institution as it is helping your institution realize dreams through their uh, external support. So. It's just complicated. And it's also, I mean, I'm passionate about higher ed. I do believe that it has the ability to change lives. And so it's uh, kind of the, the cause is worthy. Uh, execution is complicated. I think that's a great way to sum it up. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to share today, Lynn, that I have neglected to ask you? Some things that I just think are so important and they, cr they transcend higher ed, but you know, the work hard, be prepared, I would say be strategic, because in higher ed, there's very little that couldn't be part of your portfolio. So you really have to be strategic in where you invest your time and talent. Um, and then investing in people in higher ed, our budgets are a very, very high proportion of uh, salaries and wages and benefits. And so I do feel like when you invest in your people, you really can't ever go wrong. Well, fantastic, Lynn. Thank you so much for your time today and for sharing just a few of your insights from your fantastic career and your reflections with us today. Well, thank you very much. You can find out more about Lynn and today's episode by visiting the distance learning section of nakubo.org. 
Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks and iTunes so that you'll get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Lynn and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom planning software by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education.